Hello, everybody. We are back with the latest episode of the Extra Rounds podcast. As always, my name is Mike Dice, and joining me is Elias Cepeda. Uh, we wanted to go ahead and uh, invite everybody to call into the number to leave a voicemail with a question uh, regarding MMA. If you want us to answer it during the show, the number is 815-570-3923. So first of all, how have you been? Been well, Mikey D. Happy to see you, man. I'm trying it out. I'm trying it out. What do you think? It sounds like a McDonald's. <laughs> well, I'll, I have something different next week. Sorry, that's what I've been working on all week. It failed. I'll, I'll get back to the drawing board. So first, to uh, tease things, we have uh, Chris Olick calling in to talk about his book and some general MMA topics later in the episode. That'll be at 2.30. Uh, but before then, it's just the two of us going to discuss some of the uh, ongoing things in the world of MMA. There's uh, no events from the UFC. There's been some Bellator fights, um, but no UFC events since UFC 204. So we're in this weird lull yeah. that we're unaccustomed to because of the fight being canceled. But uh, the news cycle and some of the bigger names in the sport are always giving us plenty to oh, talk yeah. about. So uh, we'll get to that. We'll talk about Michael Bisping, Georgia St. Pierre, Misha Tate, Chris Cyborg, McGregor, John Jones, and uh, Jessica I. Um, but first, as a Chicago resident, what do you think of everything with the World Series? Exciting time to be in the city? Yeah, it's cool. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm from the south side. I still live in the south side. So I've, I've, I grew up being more of a White Sox partisan. But I'm not a, a Cubs hater like many White Sox fans. I've always held that as, as long as the Cubs winning doesn't negatively affect the Sox, I'm in favor of the Cubs winning. So I'm really glad. I, I actually know some real... Cubs fans that are not just posing, and uh, they're they're although now they're not super happy because they're down 0-1. They had real joy from from this happening, so I'm I'm excited. Although I was a little bit surprised and maybe a little bit offended at how like much fireworks and how many fireworks and and gunshots were going off after they won the pennant in my neighborhood uh, because I I didn't hear all that excitement 11 years ago when, when the Sox got there. So I'm a little I'm a little bitter, but I'm mostly happy. So ESPN did this graphic where they uh, were showing all the championships Chicago had won. Yeah, I saw that. They, they left the White Sox out, which was interesting. <laughs> um, ESPN, you got to get your stuff together. Yeah, it's you know, I think it's a just a simple over you know oversight. People forget about the White Sox. <laughs> it's, it's only what they do for a living. That I'm sure those researchers focus on baseball. So it's it's not it's it's not great. Well, let's get uh, right into it with the first topic. So the first thing I wanted to bring up was what happened last night on Twitter with Michael Bisping. Basically, if you missed it, he took Twitter, um, adding Georgia St. Pierre's handle, saying that uh, there was discussion of a fight between the two of them at UFC 206 in Toronto and encouraging GSP to sign the papers. So first of all, uh, and he went on to say in a subsequent sheet that he ver- verbally agreed to the fight, that he hadn't signed a contract, but he was waiting on GSP to fulfill his side of things. So I know you wrote about it for the UG. So what do you make of these claims from Michael Bisping? Yeah, you know, I, I find the timing really interesting. And I'm sure Michael Bisping did verbally agree to the fight. The UFC often floats these ideas informally. In fact, it's one of... Uh, George St. Pierre's um, attorney's 
biggest kind of complaints or the reason that he seems to feel that the UFC didn't fulfill their their contract obligations and the reason they feel he's now a free agent is that they they say that the, the UFC floated the idea of fighting Robbie Lawler without any real paperwork and out any real bout specifics. Um, and this is the way the UFC has done business a lot of times uh, informally with fighters floating this idea, floating that idea. A lot of times they float and I at a matchup to one fighter and, and not really bring in the other the other side. Um, so it seems entirely possible that Michael Bisping said he was down for that fight. Um, maybe George uh, wasn't offered it in the same way. Maybe he was. I don't know. Certainly George had Bisping's name in his mouth too. Like he called him out. One of the few occurrences of St. Pierre actually calling someone out some months ago. So I'm sure they want to fight each other. But yeah, I think this, especially on the heels of Robbie Lawler, um, getting upset at George St. Pierre as well and kind of in addition to telling George to, to keep quiet about things he didn't know, also kind of said, hey, sign the fight, sign the fight. These these kinds of these kinds of like aspersions are basically saying George doesn't really want to fight, which, interestingly, is very much in line with the narrative that Dana White, the UFC president, has been pushing for some time, that, hey, hey, I, I know George has shown his entire life and career that he, he's dedicated and loves to fight, uh, and I know he's saying he wants to fight. I know he's going under <laughs> drug testing now and training again, but he doesn't really want to fight. He doesn't actually want to at the, at the same time that they're having trouble coming to terms with George St. Pierre. So I, I think uh, Bisping definitely wants to fight GSP. I bet GSP wouldn't mind that fight either. But to me, the undercurrent, the background stuff is a little bit more interesting to me. This is a real pattern that, is, that has existed. We were talking offline last night, I know a bit, Mike, and this is a pattern that happens a lot when, when the UFC has some difficulty uh, negotiating with one fighter. Uh, I, a lot of times the President Dana White starts uh, trashing him or throwing shade their way, and then we see other people, coincidentally or not, uh, other fighters coming out and, and kind of advancing the same narrative. So that's the part that really intrigues me. Well, first, let's start here. Do you even want to see this fight? Is this a fight that fans should be interested about seeing? Yes. I mean, obviously, this means GSP would be going up to 185 yeah, yeah, yeah. to make it happen. Yes and no. I mean, I feel like anybody who's gotten away with their brain intact from a long career in fighting and has some money to show for it, I'd like to see them not fight anymore. So I'd love to see St. Pierre continue to ride off in the sunset, relatively healthy and wealthy. Uh, but if he's going to fight, yeah, I love this fight. I think it's really cool. I think it's St. Pierre finally going up to middleweight. I think it's a fight that uh, there's not a gigantic size disparity, despite them being a uh, whole weight class apart, because uh, Bisping isn't a huge guy. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really interesting fight. I think it's a real winnable fight for St. Pierre, but Bisping uh, very well could, could surprise him as well. So yeah, I, I do like the fight. If St. Pierre insists on fighting, if he could ever fight again uh, for the UFC, I think it's an interesting one. There was a, a big discussion about it after this was kind of happening last night on Twitter. Would the 185-pound belt be on the line? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It would be really interesting to have follow-up. I know Bisping was just tweeting, so there was no like follow question to you Mike but uh, I'm curious he said he was negotiating for a few days I bet he was I'm curious what they were talking about was the belt on, on the line uh, or not uh, I think it makes sense to put it on the line it, why why hold it up uh, Bisping who knows how much longer he's going to fight not because he's not fighting great he's fighting very well but he's getting older St. Pierre as well coming out of retirement why not why not give uh, you know uh, St. Pierre or any challenger coming up a chance at, uh, at history the UFC doesn't do a whole lot of non-title fights unless there's like some weight issue. So I believe it probably would be, but who knows. So the other the other wrinkle here is he's represented George St. Pierre is represented by uh, a competing yeah. 
agency caa creative artists right i didn't something. know what the acronym stood for but yeah. it was c and some a's yeah, yeah, yeah. um as opposed agency. to william endeavor morris endeavor and img right yeah so is that a hurdle here in their contract negotiations i i it might be i think it's definitely being underreported I, in fact i don't know I don't know who I don't know who else is reporting on it, but I'll tell you what it definitely is. If it's not a specific hurdle in negotiations or in a tangible or right here, it certainly is a huge conflict of interest for the UFC. If this were boxing, it would technically be a federal crime. You can't manage and promote fighters at the same time. We've seen throughout fight history lots of abuses, fighters getting fleeced, getting robbed, and taken advantage. And the, and the Ali Act, I think, that went into went into law. Uh, in 2002, I believe, people can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but uh, that made it uh, illegal in boxing to do that. And WMEIMG does represent some UFC fighters like Ronda Rousey. So it's a real serious conflict of interest. Well, I was getting ready to move on, hmm. uh, but something come up, came across a Twitter feed. Uh-oh. So let me just uh, pull this up. So bear with me for a second sure. to play. Basically, GSP has just issued a message to Michael Bisping Uh-oh. on Twitter. So what this say? is this is the message. Harry, nothing would make me more happy in the world to fight you in Toronto, Michael. Last week I met with Harry and I made peace with Dana. I tried to resolve things, but unfortunately, right now it's not happening. Hopefully, things will change soon. Thank you. Well, there you go. Well, there's that. He uh, basically put the pin in the yeah. this one. Yeah, right. Um, so it looks like the you know the contract negotiation is still an issue, and that's what he's saying. Saying it's not about you, Michael Bisping. It's about my issues with the UFC. It's not about you, Robbie Lawler. It's about right. my issues with the UFC. It seems to be what I'm getting from that. Quick answer before we move on. Do you think GSP still finds a way to make it onto the UFC 206 card? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I'd love to be surprised and shocked, though. Uh, but I, don't th- I think that's too soon. All right. Well, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, Misha Tate, open to fighting at Chris Cyborg at 140 pounds. Mm-hmm. Let's start off with this, the basic notion here first. Is this a fight that interests you? Those two women fighting one another? Absolutely. That weight class? Uh, not so much. So you already kind of segued into my next question. Why does everybody seem set on making Cyborg fight at 140 pounds instead of 145? Dana White and the UFC seem set on it, and we don't have much of a say. I think so. so I don't. I think that's where it originated from. I think the original thinking was supposedly uh, to to show that that Chris could get lower in weight, and then if she did that once, maybe did that twice, then maybe she could make a cut down all the way to 135 um, to fight Ronda Rousey. Because they don't want to do a featherweight class in the UFC. Which is silly. I mean, there's no 140-pound weight class. We've talked about this yeah. at nauseum. So right. It seems like Cyborg's t- drawing a line, and you talked to her last week, that she's drawing a line that she's not going to do these kind of fights. and She's not going to go below 145 right. pounds anymore. Is that accurate? That's what she's saying. I feel like she said this to me before, though, and said it to the world. And it's tough when you're a fighter and they come to you with another fight and another paycheck to say no, especially if you've maybe Someone had a couple. marketable as Tate, too. Yeah, exactly. And if they give you, uh, you know, if, if you've had a couple months to forget the misery near-death experience of dropping down, you know, another five pounds. So I feel like she means it, but it could change, I guess. The other thing is, at least in this case, maybe I understand it a little bit more from Tate's side of things. Like, you can make the argument that Tate's a natural light, uh, flyweight. Flyweight. 120. I, I, yeah, I think so. So, 
her fighting at 140 is more than her going up five pounds over her natural weight class, whereas 135 is a, a tough cut for Rousey. So she could, she'd be more adept to fight at a higher weight class. So, I think that's a good point. I think it's a bad fight for both women for that reason. Like right. Tate, Tate's really too too she's little too anyway. High. She's going too high, and maybe Cyber's going too low. Yeah. So absolutely. like I could see why her fighting at 140 140 pounds is more important to Tate in this circumstance than in the past with Rousey. But mm-hmm. it's still just watching watching just that video of Cyborg cutting weight just makes you never want to see her do it again. Yeah. And if you're gonna be doing exhibition matches. Why not? Why does it matter? You know what I mean? Like, okay, so Tate doesn't cut any weight. I'm sure she wouldn't mind it at all. We saw Conor <laughs> McGregor going into the fight with Nate Diaz, you know, jovial, eating steaks. Like the first one when they fought at 196, the embedded, it's him going out and eating steaks and whatever he can. Cause he, you know, uh, he subsequently learned that he couldn't eat whatever he wanted <laughs> despite not having to cut weight going yeah. into the second match. But um, I don't think it would be an issue for Tate. Yeah, probably not. Um, yeah, it, it is strange, Mike. You're right. It's just strange to insist upon it. Uh, and, and I think the UFC just has some issues. One, they, they like to control things, and sometimes it's just about controlling things. And two, I think they have a real mental block with women. I mean, it wasn't long. Now they're, they're, they have a, a, a prohi- prohibition on the featherweight weight class. All right, among other weight classes for women. Fine. A few years ago, Dana White had a prohibition on women fighting at all. It, this is often talked about like it's some cute little thing. No, it was a it was a ban on women, just like there were bans on people of color playing in the major leagues before Jackie Robinson. Like that's not a little thing when you have a, when you have an institution, the people in power who still have these types of weird ideas about women athletes, and I think they do, other than liking Ronda Rousey and the money she makes for them. It's going to take time before they just start thinking a little more clearly. But isn't it short sighted? Like you Very. have a huge star in Cyborg who you could market if you no. had this division. We've seen a willingness to have a division to anchor a star. You could make that argument that it's happening in. Uh, flyweight for the men. Sure, you can make an argument that that or that was the gripe against Ronda Rousey's division when it first came into the UFC was that it was Rousey and just a bunch of scrubs. So, like, that's not a hurdle that exists. But yeah. the other thing is, you have someone like Kayla Harrison, two-time judo gold medalist, who you know same pedigree or similar pedigree to Rousey with star potential. And I believe in judo, she competed at 165 pounds. Mm, I'm not sure, but it was definitely heavier than right. Ronda, yeah. Yeah, it was heavier than Ronda, oh. who, 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 she fought. So, you know, could she even make 145 pounds? Who knows? But right. she, you know, that's creating a home for her in the future, too. you got to have an eye for that vision. And there was reports online that she's, she's pursuing an MMA career, even though she originally said at the Olympics that she wasn't interested. Yeah, I saw so that. So you know... Kayla Harrison's interested in pursuing an MMA, MMA career, so why not think ahead yeah. and have the groundwork? And we've seen it with the women's divisions now, how once that division's created, the, the, the talent rises. So why not go ahead and do that and start cultivating the division so it's ready when she's there? It's very short-sighted. I think you're on the money. Unless you want that weaker division so she can come in and steamroll everybody and be a huge star. In that, that right. That, that could be too. I still think that would be short-sighted, right? Oh, yeah. But, yeah, no, you make really good points there. I agree. I mean, I like to think I make really good points. But Generally, but that was a, sp- a particularly good one. <laughs> so let's move on to the next thing. Uh, Real Madrid said that they wanted to host yeah. a fight with Conor McGregor. I don't know that I can remember an event being held in Spain, yeah. let alone one that could fill a stadium that sits 100,000 people. Right. 
What do you think of the idea of Conor McGregor fighting at a huge soccer stadium in Spain? You know, I, 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 I'm very ignorant on all these things. I've never been to Spain. I don't know much about soccer. I don't know much about Spain's economy. Uh, but I will say this. If Real Madrid is saying they're interested, they've probably thought about it a little bit. And they probably feel that they can sell it at least as a one-time novelty. I don't know what the, what the MMA scene there is. I know Conor McGregor's a European I know Fabricio Verdum taught in Spain for a while, um, so it'd be interesting to ask him. But uh, yeah, only thing I can say is if Real Madrid seems interested, I bet they they can they can sell it out. That's kind of crazy, but it would be cool. Yeah, I mean, I would still rather see some like Wembley or mm. even Croke Park, mm-hmm. something that's relevant, or sure. something in the states. Like you know, we AT and T Stadium in Dallas. It's mm. not the most fighter friendly destination, I guess. Uh, it's not. Madison Square Garden. It's not Las Vegas, but it's a huge stadium with a huge screen, which I think the huge screen makes it a huge, a better destination for mm. things like boxing, MMA, and wrestling, where you're basically just watching two people, not a f- whole football field. Yeah. The screen is a huge plus for a venue like that. that. And we've seen them host boxing matches that get forty, fifty thousand people. Um, so, I mean, my initial gut as a soccer fan is like that would be really cool, <laughs> but my. The MMA voice in my head is like, I'm afraid that they wouldn't be able to sell anything out, and this would be yeah. embarrassingly mm. like it would be empty and somewhat embarrassing. You know, like how many Spanish stars are there on the roster who you could even try and no, fill there? yeah, it wouldn't even be about that. It'd be about like let's see, let's see these these international or American guys. There's got to be that right. interest because there aren't mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, um, you know, and it's like if Bisping's still the champion by the time they did this, and McGregor and Joanna, like are those three enough? draws to like even if you loaded him yeah. with three title fights to do something i mean those are three people who don't have ties to that country and right you want to trains in the states mm-hmm. bisping trains in the states mcgregor lists the primary address in the states mm-hmm. so even you know yeah it'll be interesting i'm, I'm also that's a good that's a, that's a good push fans could travel easier oh yeah i think so i'm curious though they they, they say they'd host it i wonder what type of real piece they'd want of it though that the business dealings might be difficult to sort out as well they might want kind of some type of co-promotion thing so uh, before we move on to the next topic, let's address one of the fans in the comments. And I wanted to remind everybody that if you leave a question in the comments below, we will try to address it on the show. Um, so we have David York who says, what chance do you think Wonder Boy has to beat Woodley for his belt at UFC 205? Yeah, good one. <laughs> I, pick, good one. I pick Wonder Boy. My Wonder, Wonder Boy would be my favorite as a matchup against anyone in the division right now. He's just a really tough matchup now. Um, I, I, I like Tarwin Woodley a lot, and I think he could definitely beat anyone. He could knock a mule out on a, on a sick day. But, but uh, I think I think I, Stephen Thompson is my pick to win this. So you're going with Stephen Thompson to get the upset? Yeah, yeah. Is he the underdog? Yeah, I. I, I think mean, I don't know not, if he's the underdog, but I would assume he's the underdog. He's not the champion, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it'll go either way, but my pick is Stephen Thompson. I think now that he's defending takedowns so effectively and he starts defending the takedowns before there's even contact made he does it with his with his uh, his his uh, distance management with his footwork with his stance changes with his with his feints um now that he can do that now that he can defense rushing uh, uh, takedowns against someone like johnny Hendricks, no one's as good of a striker as him you can still knock out a guy that's better than you but you know i like his chances so I don't know if you saw this, but Sage Northcutt has yeah. been spending time. You're the one Rufus. that told me about it first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. training with uh, with Woodley and doing some weird, unorthodox kind of things, and you know, 
Northcutt, I believe, has the karate background. Yeah. So maybe it's a more similar style to Thompson, who's uh, primarily was kickboxing, but he has a little karate. Well, he was a karate, yeah, he was karate based, and his dad was a karate instructor. They still have a school together, but from karate competition, then he transitioned into like the strikers MMA, which is kickboxing. Right. And then he went into MMA. So right. yeah, he's definitely a karate dude. So yeah, he brought in Northcutt, who has a karate background, to try and train. And I watched a little bit of it, and you know, it was. It was interesting. There's a lot going on, so I wasn't watching solely that um, to see. But he's obviously made it a point of emphasis to work on it, and he's brought in people to work with him on it. So, you know, I'm intrigued um, by the matchup, and I think it's, you know, it's close. But um, I have, I don't know. I feel like I have a lot of confidence in Woodley. Yeah. Wow. After after watching uh, that, which was a fascinating experience, we'll talk about another day, mm. all in its own right. Um, so. You're going with Woodley. I'm going with. Uh, you're going with Wonder Boy. I'm going yeah. with Woodley. So that's the answer. I don't. I don't know if that helps you, David. But that's uh, that's don't, where we stand. Don't on. Don't put a lot of money on this fight, one way or the other. These guys are both amazing. So Plus, yeah. I got to shout out my friend from high school, David Woodley. You know, so there's like that tie uh, there for the names. So the Woodley name carries a lot of weight with me. So wanted to transition to the next topic, John Jones mm. went. He's been going on some Twitter rants again and not deleting them, which has been a pleasant surprise <laughs> yeah, to right, right. everybody who tries to embed those into blog posts around the internet. <laughs> so uh, let me pull up exactly what it is that he said. So uh, he kind of did two things. One, he ranted at the light heavyweight division, yeah. saying, you boys know when we all retire, you will just be one of, known as one of my contenders. Easy for y'all to talk trash when daddy ain't home. Interesting. Sounds like which something you've told me before too, but just, you guys have very similar <laughs> you know, ways of talking. Go we're, on. we're kindred spirits. <laughs> and then he uh, brought this back up to to address the PD allegation. This was a much longer yeah. rant, so I don't want to read everything okay. from it. But he said, uh, "That's right, light heavyweight division. This means I got it. I got in that <clears throat> rear end, fair and square. I heard your interviews. Steroids didn't give me the belief that I'm the baddest MF on the planet." Uh, steroids didn't help my instincts. Steroids didn't help my heart. Steroids didn't help this. Blah blah blah. blah he didn't blah. phrase that very well. He phrased it in a way that no it sounded like an admission of right use. <laughs> right, um, which is fine. I guess. I mean, he's saying it didn't use it, and like those, it didn't help me. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like it could be misconstrued, right? For sure, you're leaving ambiguity. Yeah, you know, and yeah. so. Um, it was on Reddit, and I was looking at the Reddit thread and the comments, and that was a, some one thing a lot of people were saying. They were saying, this <laughs> sounds like an admission, yeah. basically, which I thought was an interesting um, thing. Yeah. And the commission, <laughs> and the USADA always takes the approach that we can't talk about until you talk about it. And this right. is obviously him talking about it. Maybe not enough for them to comment and shed light, but you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty about his situation. He obviously at least appears to be very confident that this is going to be resolved and knows how this is going to play out. Yeah. Um, but yeah. we don't know because it hasn't, he hasn't come before the commission yet. Right. But yeah, yeah, no, he does seem very confident. So does Dana White, which is, which is weird. Do this to John Jones. <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> they get him and Donald Trump in the same room, maybe Dana White and just take away their phones. So you, you agree. It was ill-advised. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, I don't know how much it's going to affect him at this point. Like, you know, like, we're t- I mean, I'm not trying to be glib, but John Jones has a lot more problems than, than Twitter. And he, he said some bad things on Twitter before. And he has more problems than, than, than uh, performance-enhancing drugs. He's got, I'm crashing my car every couple of years. I'm hitting women that are pregnant problems. Like, he has these types of issues. So, like, 
those issues have really, really, really hurt him. Uh, he's lost all his, a lot of his sponsorships. Uh, he's he's been inactive, so I don't know that it's going to take him any any lower. Um, <laughs> but I think generally, as a human being, most of everything he ever puts on social media is, and, and says is is a little bit ill advised, just in terms of sounding cool. He sounds like a like an angry like an angry nerd sometimes, you know. And he's an amazing fighter, and I get how hard it must be for him, especially if he feels aggrieved uh, or, or wronged to be out so long when he clearly is the most effective fighter in that division's history so i get it you know there's certainly um there's certainly some understand like things to understand about what he's going through Less a fighter in the prime of his career has taken something away has taken something away from him. he's fought once since ufc no. 182 right you know it's been suspension after suspension yeah. after thing you know it's just He's, it's got to be messing with him on a mental level. It has to be, for sure. Did you see him compete in that uh, Naga, that grappling competition, by the way? He did a submission grappling competition. So let's get to some of the comments. Uh, did you guys see it in the comments? Our good friend, Jose <laughs> Youngs, reminded us that Enrique Marin, the guy who lost the stage at UFC 200, is from Spain, but he got cut. Uh, so maybe, they'll, maybe they bring him back if they do that. To headline that card. Yeah, headline. Coming. Um <laughs> Mike Rangel asks, so what's up with John Jones? We kind of talked about that. And David is back with another question. If Connor loses to Eddie, do you see Aldo versus McGregor happening soon after 205 in order to keep his belt at featherweight? Interesting question. I guess it depends how, how banged up you get, right? This guy's been fighting a whole lot. <clears throat> no. Hmm. Only because Dana White has teased... Uh, that Conor McGregor is going to be going away for a while, has a big announcement, and the implication is that he'll be stepping away for a while. There's a lot of different rumors and speculations about what could be prompting that. Um, but that's the assumption, that he's going to be gone for a while. So if he is gone for a while, he doesn't have time to defend the featherweight belt. That being said, I do think if he isn't going away, I do think his next fight should be at featherweight. Hmm. I think him being a two-weight champion holds more gravity if he defends the for featherweight sure. belt before relinquishing one of them. For now, sure. as we played on our show last week, which you can check out on the Sports Illustrated MMA Facebook page and on iTunes and on YouTube, he said that he's willing to give up one of the belts. Mm-hmm. He's willing to listen to them talk about whatever the best business decision is, and then once they, as a unit, reach an agreement, go along with it. He's not saying, I will give up a belt, yeah. but I'm willing to discuss it. I'm yep open to considering it and I'm ultimately opening to doing it yeah based on the discussion and that's that what had. made headlines by the way so, all across the interwebs that yes. interview he did yep I mean to toot my own heart, but, <laughs> um, so anyways there's that angle but I do want to see him fight like it's like if you win the belt you're the two-weight champion for a day and then you drop one yeah I think you need that one more title defense at 145 pounds to really solidify the two-weight thing it'd be now, cool he did tell us that he still wants to keep both belts. Yeah. And his justification for such was that he that there's nobody in the game who is more active than him. And that there's nobody who could defend the belt as frequently as he could. Which is a fair point. He does fight a lot. I mean, 194 in December, 96 yeah. in February, March. Uh, was going to fight at 200. Ultimately fight at August. Um, going to fight again in November. I mean, that's four times in 12 months. Yeah, so that's a lot. He could. But, you know... 
we'll see. Yeah. It doesn't, though, to answer your question, David, it doesn't look like he's going to be fighting in the near future after 205 to make a defense. So I believe joining us by the phone is Chris Olick to talk about his book. Chris, are you there? Yes. Thank you so much for having me today. Hey, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to join us, and uh, we really appreciate you being a part of the show. I believe thank you, thank you. the first book author to yeah, be a guest. I, I, think, I think you are the first book author we've had on, Chris, at least that we've well, been aware of. Breaking barriers. I love it. That is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the, the book we're talking about is The Fighter Within. We're, we're on with its, uh, its author, Chris, Chris Olick. Uh, I was lucky enough to get uh, a sneak peek at, at some of the chapters well, well, long before it was it was published. Thanks, thanks to you, Chris, and uh, I had a lot of fun uh, reading it and and reading about not only the the really interesting people you got to meet and train with, like Fedor Emelianenko, Bas Rutun, Rashad Evans, Rich Franklin, all, all sorts of great coaches as well um, out there. Um, but but your own your own uh, fighting kind of journey and your own fighting path because of course you're, you're also a, a, a fighter um what, what i'm gonna backtrack for a second was a big part of your motivation in writing the fighter within getting to meet a lot of your a lot of your fighting heroes was that like a big part of a big impetus for this <laughs> I, i'd be lying if i said no of course so i started off as the biggest fan of mma and you know everybody would come to me at work and ask you know who's gonna win you know what are the odds who's this guy who's that i was always a walking encyclopedia just because of my love and passion for the sport so that grew into you know writing uh becoming a little bit of a reporter and then i noticed that i had a knack or a way to get to these guys and also retrieving information or mining things that can't be readily found anywhere really so i thought that hey, if i have this i might as well go with it and at the same time meet all my idols in the process so it definitely was i mean uh you know till today i'm still starstruck by uh by all these guys that i get to meet and i have to pinch myself from time to time but uh but it's a wonderful journey so chris i wanted to build off of that yeah there's a saying that's always uh, that goes, "Don't meet your heroes." <laughs> Did you have any moments like that where you met one of your heroes or somebody and they didn't live up to expectations, or it was a disappointing experience? Uh, you know what? Not really. Well, I, I mentioned in the in the book uh, with Matt Hughes. Uh, you know, I, I just that was my very that was kind of my impetus or my entrance into training MMA. And he came to London, Ontario, my hometown, and uh, so I got to meet him, and it was great. And from there, I started training every day at the local gym that put on that seminar. And, you know, the rest is history. But when I met him, you know, it was a little lackluster. I mean, it's, it's his personality, too. I don't know what I was expecting, but uh, so maybe that might have been. Um, going along that line, maybe on the flip side, getting, uh, sorry, meeting Fedor Emelianenko, uh, you know, the first time I, I, I got to sit down with him three times, which is amazing. A lot of the, the information I didn't utilize will be in the second book, and there's some juicy stuff in there, too, But uh, that I'm working on right now. But um, meeting him the very first time, I don't know what it is with this man when he stares at you. And I'm a big guy. I'm six foot three, two thirty. 230. Uh, when he stares at you, I slouched in my chair, I swear to God. I don't know what it was. And it was like, you know, I could meet Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that wouldn't have happened. Uh, it was a very eerie thing, but by the time I met him second, third time, uh, you know, I kind of got to see him as, as a person, but I guess, I don't know, just look, just to stare and just, you know, <laughs> the way I idolized him, I think it, uh, you know, it sent shivers right through me. That's something. You know, I, I heard, not in, not in the book, but I heard in another interview you did, um, 
Chris, where you you talked about Fedor. You know, he's he's a humble guy. He has that certainly has that reputation. He's certainly soft spoken in public, um, from you know everything we see in the outside. But you talked about you know in in an interesting way, him from your perspective, him needing seeming to need a lot of attention and a lot of praise and stuff like that. I'm wondering if you could kind of elaborate on that or explain that. Yeah, I'd love to. So. You know, it, it was hard getting through to him. Then, you know, he finally warmed up, especially by the third interview. Um, but even then, you know, he is kind of closed off to the outside world. So you really have to get into his, his inner circle to see him. So you, you start seeing him laugh. You, you see these things you don't see normally. But I had to go to his wife, Oksana, and she's the one that delivered a lot of knowledge, behind-the-scenes knowledge to me. And uh, she, she, she pretty much told me that at home, He's the biggest attention grabber. That's you know he wants the gifts. He likes to give some gifts. She said, but more for the most part, you know whether it's the kids or from her, she, he loves to get stuff. Uh, you know he's like a big teddy bear behind closed doors, which is funny. Uh, you know we even talked about who gets the TV remote in the household, and I guess they they do a lot of things so they don't watch much TV, but uh, they just said it's collecting dust. But uh, yeah, he's he's very much so. Um, you know, to the outside world, he's very closed off. And, and I can just speculate from my uh, experiences. The first time, like I said, I thought, you know, the guy was going to kill me when he was sitting less than a foot away from me. By the third time, he seemed to open up, you know, he, he, he started seeing me places and so on. So he got to know me a little bit on an intimate level that way through the interviews and so on. So he really opened up, and there you could see it. He's cracking jokes, and he's, you know what I mean? He's, he's, he's just a regular, regular cool cat, but... Uh, but behind closed doors, yeah, like I said, uh, completely, I was I was astonished what his wife was saying because, no, not the stoic Russian that I'm used to coming out and he never cracks a smile. He knocks the guy out and, you know, punches punches the clock, he's done and he goes home and that's it. But, uh, no, he's, he's definitely much different. I even talked to some of his friends, actually, this wasn't in the book. I talked to some of his friends that came as entourage from Russia and so on. I was, you know, picking their brain. How is he? You know, how, what? and they all said the same thing. Usually he's the one laughing the most in the room. And I thought that they were just joking around with me. But, you know, when I got that answer from four or five guys, I said, okay, well, he's definitely different uh, than what we're used to. You've also spent some time with Joanna Jane Jacek, another champion. She's the current strawweight champion. What uh, she's one of the more fascinating fighters and characters, even just watching from from afar. On the topic of what people are like, what what's your, what were your impressions of her, her her personality? She she seems to, she puts out a lot of funny, goofy videos. You know when she's not fighting, and then she just looks like a demon when she's fighting. Yes. Um, I, I was blessed to actually go to Poland last year, uh, watch her uh, train in her training camp, uh, then go to her house, which is unbelievable, to interview her for my second book. Uh, and I got to really see her a little bit that way. Uh, and, I, of course, I follow her, like you said. I see all the videos where she's, you know, she's funny and uh, she does a lot of comical things. But uh, that, that's the way she is, actually. Outside, outside of fighting, She's a completely different person, and I kind of mentioned that in my first book a little with Rashad, where you have to almost have a split personality uh, to be successful in this game. But with her, definitely, I'll give you a little story. So even when we wrapped up uh, the interview, I was there with a friend of mine in Poland, and you know we traveled the entire country. We were at the very south part. She, li- she lived on the very northern part of Poland. So we drove the whole country down to see her. She was more than a comedy, more... 
you know, just an absolute gracious person. And as we're leaving, she's giving us all these candies. No, no, you guys need to eat for their trip back. You guys got such a low, you know, long road. You take some of this. She's giving us tea and all. <laughs> it was just, you know what I mean? Like very old style European. Uh, and she's wonderful. But I did see her train. And I would be scared, like I said, being 236 foot three, there's no way in hell I'd ever put Mets up against her, uh, even just as far, because she is freaky. Uh, her movements are very reminiscent of almost uh, Bruce Lee. That's, that's what I kept jotting on my paper uh, as I watched her. She was very fluid, and she kept kind of switching stances, which we don't see that much in her fights when it comes to switching stances, but she's definitely doing it when she's training. So maybe it's something we'll see, but just, just her gracefulness, um, and you know, and, and how quick and elusive she was, uh, it's good. And she, she's very dead focused because just like she imparted in, in the, her interview, when she sets her sight on a goal, that's it. Nothing else matters. And that's why she can be so cutthroat. Because she knows she has to be. Um, you know, if you want to be number one, especially at that level, I, I do think she's got the right uh, strategy. Uh, and that's why. She's got to instill fear in her opponent. Uh, you know, just look past everything that's going on and just concentrate on the end goal, which is the win. Uh, and in her, in her case, you know, win in devastating fashion. I've uh, talked to her about Christmas, of all things, and she's like a completely different person when her guard's down and she's not doing the fighter thing. You know, talking about Santa Claus, she's like a kid, you know, <laughs> filled with excitement. So I get that. I get that. That's it. that's a really fascinating story to hear. Yes, most definitely. It's great to see that in fighters, I think, uh, because uh, you, we do see usually the one side of them. Uh, we don't see the full side uh, until we... Uh, either get you know intimate access through videos or we, we're lucky enough to, to to see them out of their element speaking of perspective uh, chris you know obviously you didn't just you haven't just had the chance to speak with uh, a lot of really great coaches and fighters you've, you've been training uh, and you got to train with a number of them and and uh and you yourself have, have fought a number of times what type of perspective would you say actually training actually fighting yourself gives you as a fan and as a writer that, that maybe fans uh, and writers who, who haven't um, done any type of training um, wouldn't really, uh, don't really have the opportunity to, to get? I, you know what? Uh, I'd love to answer that question. I think everybody should be trained. That's my, uh, you know, that's my thought on it. But especially with what I set out to do, I didn't think it would be fair to just analyze um, without actually living it and i'm not kidding anybody i'm not going to be on the ufc you know what i mean i was i was just amateur you know jujitsu muay thai whatever but it was fun it was healthy and for perspective i think that's what what's needed because you truly can't understand you can't try to get into your subject's mind if you haven't been there if you haven't you know took a shot and thought, oh, <laughs> and had to, you know, traverse through the hardships to end up with the win or, you know, just even dealing with the nerves before you get in. So when they impart certain knowledge on you, you can kind of revert back to your experiences and you can kind of correlate that in your writing. But if you've never done, done there or been there, you're going to lose a lot in the process. And Chris, we're here with Chris Olick, author of uh, Fight Within. 
you, you decided to put some proceeds of your book uh, to a, a charity, um, to a fund. Could you talk a little bit about that and, and where people can contribute to it by, by buying, by buying the, the Fighter Within? Yes, of course. Uh, so thanks to actually Bass Rutten, my, my idol, uh, he wrote the forward of the book, and uh, he was kind enough through him. Um, sales from the book on mnasports.com. That's mnasports.com. Uh, if you click on his link or his picture there, uh, five dollars actually from every purchase of the book will go towards the Kevin Randleman Foundation, which is uh, you know something that uh, everybody holds dear in the MMA community. It was a huge loss when Kevin Randleman passed away, so this is a way to kind of give back to the memorial fund. Um, you know, so so we we thought of that. Uh, you know, people can get it on Amazon. They can get it Barnes and Nobles and everywhere else. But if they want to kind of, uh, they know they're selling money out and they want it to part of it to go towards a good cause, then definitely we partnered up with MMAsports.com uh, for that. So uh, uh, we're very grateful and uh, I'm so happy that uh, thanks to Bash we were able to do that. Now the last question we had for you, Chris, is. Uh, the I mean, you got the cover, the cover boy, so to speak, the cover guy, so to speak, uh, of the fighter within is Rashad Evans, and I know that uh, you seem to have a real. He seems to have a real special place in your heart, and, and as does Boss Rutten, who you just you know called your idol, who wrote the really great forward uh, to the book. What about I mean? Because it's not like you go back way back to like to high school with these guys. What about your interactions with them? What they showed you uh, as just individuals? really made them uh special in your in your eyes well you know i, I did have to mention in the book uh, first and foremost all of these guys were more than gracious with their time with their knowledge and similar things they imparted you know it's it, it intimate stuff uh and, and you don't you don't just go around you know telling people your dark recesses of your uh you know corners of your life um, but uh, a lot of these guys really went deep with me. And, uh, you know, they saw I was very passionate with what I was doing. And I wanted to deliver something to everybody that, uh, you know, that showcased that passion, showcased what makes these guys the best, and uh, and showed them in a human light. And uh, everybody had something different. I mean, we have John Danaher, who's very, you know... Uh, how do I put it? One of the most intelligent people I've ever met and also very eclectic, very, a little, you know what I mean? And uh, so, so I got many different things from him than let's say what I did from Rashad. Rashad's chapter is very psychological, you know, talks a lot about the sacrifices he had to make. You know, if we're crying out loud, he missed his daughter's first steps because he was, he was, searching, he was searching for his dream or, or pursuing it, I should say, uh, you know, to get that UFC title. So, um, Everybody gave me something a little different that I took back and I used in my life. Um, whether it was motivation or knowledge, like Faraz Zahabi is another person I can only speak uh, volumes of. Uh, he actually wrote uh, the Jiu-Jitsu Principles chapter in the book. And it's almost like a la the art of war, just modernized, uh, taken from Jiu-Jitsu Principles. And, uh, and I use those almost every day. I use those in business. I use those in my daily life as well as training and they work. So, so that's why I, I, I thought that I was just going to be the vessel that brings this information out, but I grew as a person and, uh, throughout the journey. And I hope that people that read it, they'll be able to pick out those things that, you know, that's going to positive, positively affect them in their lives. So each person had definitely a different spin or a different way that they affected my life, uh, uh, very positively. 
So you mentioned a second book. When uh, when can readers expect that to come out? You know what? I'm working very hard on it. We've got Rafael Dostanos, joining in Vichik, which we just uh, uh, talked about. Bass Rutten has a killer chapter in there. That guy should have a movie made after him. Uh, Fedor has a great chapter in there, too, and I'm, I'm, I'm still working on a few key people. But uh, I'm about half done right now. So I am hoping that by the latest, maybe 2018, we will see that on the bookshelves. But I'm uh, working vigorously to, to, to get that finished. And uh, there is a third project that can't really release right now that's being sort of in the works. It would be huge. So I would love to come back on the show one day uh, once that gets signed and done and uh, deliver the good news to you guys first. Yeah, we absolutely have you back. We love, uh, love your work. We'd love to talk about future projects. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's, uh, it's been a blast. Hey, thank you for uh, taking the time out to join us. Thank you. Take care, guys. Later, Chris. It's a fun book. People should definitely check it out, The Fighter Within with Chris Olick. Um, yeah, you get to go all around the world with him and train with some folks and, and kind of feel what it feels like to be just a, a regular dude that decides to, to gut up and start training and fighting. I want that job. <laughs> that would be that would be cool. You um, do you do until you have it, right? Like it's a cool, it's right. a tough thing, but yeah, it's cool. The you know the collection of stories and you know instead of it being focused on one fighter, you know makes maybe it a harder sell because it becomes like a little brief biography. Sure. But by making it a collection of tales from different fighters and different things, kind of creates uh, gives you a lot in one package, and I think that's really really fascinating. So you know. It'll be interesting to see. I know he said he's got a second project. The third project, he made it kind of sound like it wasn't very like mysterious. Yeah, this. like maybe it's a whole other medium. Who knows? I'm have to like text him and be like, "Hey, man, yeah, <laughs> give, me, give me the deets." That's right. That's but, right. But uh, you know, like how it'd be interesting to see him keep going this over time. You know, every few years, story. You know, stories as you know, new athletes come and go from the sport. For you sure, know, fresh blood. There's always new stories to uh, capture. So again, that's some uh, something you guys want to check out. We'll uh, post. Uh, information on how to get it onto our Twitter account at Extra Rounds, um, but uh, you know, fascinating story. Definitely a book you should check out. And as he talked about, for a good cause. Yeah. So that's always uh, a nice thing. So before we go, I uh, wanted to touch on one last topic really quick, and that is Jessica. I. Uh, Jessica I has been on our show before. Uh, we talked to her right after her uh, loss to uh, to Beth Correa at UFC 203 in Cleveland. And she uh, just recently did an interview with Damon Martin of Fox Sports saying that she was going to take a year off before returning to the cage to focus on her one last chance in the UFC. Mm. So thoughts on the time off, good or bad? Yeah, um, you know, I'm assuming it's good if she thinks she needs to take it. It's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting thing. I think good in terms of she'll certainly get better. She's a young, really skilled fighter. She's going to probably just get better. I, her year off is going to probably just be from from MMA competition. I'm sure she's going to be in the gym, maybe even doing grappling competitions or something like that. Um, but the only thing I guess that would be um, something to watch out for is uh, putting all your eggs in one basket, all the pressure in your head, like you know, of it being quote unquote that one last chance. If she thinks of it that way, uh, if if it comes after a whole year of working out, uh, of training and, and taking time away from competition, you're gonna you're gonna have to do some work to to not feel overburdened. But um, I'm assuming it's gonna be good for her body. I'm assuming it's gonna be good for her skills. So that's interesting. Uh, she did. There was an interesting tidbit in there about how she, she worked with a sports psychologist. Yeah. How Dana White even offered to get her a sports psychologist, which I thought was a nice gesture. Yeah, and she told us that when she was on too. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and it's cool that 
he's you know stood by her through everything yeah yeah it is it's the right thing to do i'm glad they did so that concludes our show today uh lighter lineup less going on uh we want to do announce that we're going to do a little bit some things a little different with the podcast going forward for those of you who don't know the the, I, the podcast is available in audio format on itunes the TuneIn app and google play for those of you who have android devices uh you can subscribe and they'll get downloaded to your phone and you can check in so we do the show once a week live on facebook on the sports illustrated mma page every wednesday at 2 p.m central and we will continue to do the show at that time every week and we will continue to book guests to make it interesting um that being said we also just love talking about MMA so much. We talk about how we talk it off of the air all the time, and we have so many fighters that we want to talk to that we're also going to start doing some interviews that we will be releasing only onto the podcast online through iTunes, Google Play, or the TuneIn app. Uh, we will tweet those out when they're coming so that you can find them easily. Of course, if you subscribe, they'll just go right to your phone, or you won't even have to do anything. It'll just be a present when you turn <laughs> on. But uh, we want to do a lot of things. We were talking to a lot of Bellator 163 fighters. So in most of them, we're getting both fighters in the fight. So we thought it'd be cool instead of bringing them all onto the show and kind of doing a long uh, broadcast, we could just isolate each little fight into an episode where you hear us talk to both fighters. So look forward to that in uh, your iTunes or Google play or TuneIn app, wherever you want to listen to us. Uh, thank you for taking the time out to listen to it. It means a lot to us. We really appreciate it. Um, as always, you can call the phone number 815-570-3923. You can leave a voicemail with a question. We will answer it on the show. We will play your wonderful message and uh, answer the question and discuss it. Uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, tune in wherever. And please leave a five-star review. Uh, it would really appreciate us. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Extra Rounds, at Mike Dice, at Elias Cepeda, whichever avenue you choose to but if you follow extra rounds we'll keep you up to date with all the latest guest news and podcast release news so thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next week